We're beginning a new series tonight called Summer Songs. What we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is we're going to be taking each week a different psalm, and we're going to kind of dig into it a little bit. And up front, here's kind of what we're going to discover. We're going to discover that as we look into these psalms that were written 3,000 or more years ago in a different culture, a different time, a different place, we're going to find that even now, in 2012, they are just as relevant and timely as they were when they were first written. And the psalm we're going to look at tonight is really going to give us, it's Psalm 90, it's going to give us some great insight into something we're all very conscious of, our time. Our time is something that is really very precious to us, and it's really interesting all the different ways that we talk about it. I mean, over the course of even maybe a week, you'll talk about time like this. You'll talk about wanting to speed up time. Maybe you'll talk about saving time. Or if you're at work, you'll talk about accruing time because you want to spend that time later. Sometimes you'll talk about stopping time. You'll talk about, you know, what's going to happen at the end of time. And really, when your time is over, all you really want then is just more time, right? I mean, we all just want just a little bit more time. And probably the most often asked question for you, I know it is for me, and you might ask this question a dozen times a day, maybe out loud, but definitely to yourself, it's a simple question. You ask, what time is it? What time is it? Because with that answer, it just kind of governs everything else you do. And it's amazing how almost any room you walk into, you can find that answer. You can look at your computer and find that answer. You can look at your cell phone and find that answer. It's the question, what time is it? And we're all just incredibly conscious of that. In fact, tonight, here's what's going to happen. I'll tell you, I know this is going to happen up front, and you're going to try to be really coy about this because you don't want to get caught, especially you don't want me to catch you. But here's what's going to happen. At some point tonight, you're going to kind of make sure nobody's looking and kind of take a glance down at your watch. Some of you ladies, if you're not wearing a watch, you're going to reach into your purse and you're going to, you know, it's kind of like opening candy in a movie house, right? I mean, you don't want anybody to hear you, but you're going to reach in and kind of look at the cell phone. Guys, you're going to reach into your pocket and pull that out because we're just all really very conscious of our time. In fact, some of you right now are scared to death because you've noticed, I'm not wearing a watch. And that scares you to death. I had a friend who used to tell me, he said the first thing he'd do if he was in a church service, if he was in a class, wherever he was, he'd look at the speaker. And if that guy or if that girl was not wearing a watch, I mean, just look out, right? I mean, it was just all over. But the problem here, we're so conscious of time, but maybe, just maybe, we're asking the wrong question. I mean, maybe the most important question when it comes to time is not the question, what time is it? But maybe the most important question when it comes to time is what are you doing with your time? Really, not what time is it, in the grand scheme of things, not that important, but the better question is what are you doing with your time? Because there is this sobering thought that all of us in this room are aware of, some much more than others, but it's the thought that your time is running out. Aren't you glad you came tonight? Right? I mean, but it's true. My time, your time, it is running out. And the most difficult part about that 
is that we don't know when. I mean, is the time left on your clock, is it kept in decades? Maybe. Is it kept in years? Hopefully not, but is it kept in months? I mean, we don't know the answer to that question. All we do know is that every time you look at your watch or your cell phone or a clock or even a calendar is that you have less time than you had when you previously looked and you're never going to have more time than you have right now. I've been playing volleyball this summer with some of the college-age guys and girls and it's just been this incredibly really sobering experience for me because it's bad enough when you're my age and you're playing with people who are half your age, it's just this constant reminder that your best days athletically, at least physically, are way behind you. But I actually this summer had someone tell me that. <laughs> I was playing with Joe Aprilli, and we were playing one night, and it was just the two of us who were left, and we had to pick up two guys. So we asked these two guys to play, and we're kind of introducing ourselves. And this one guy, I found out he's just graduated high school. He's starting college this fall here at NKU. He's 18, I don't know, maybe he's 19 years old. And he looked at me, and he kind of did the once over and said, do you go to NKU? <laughs> now, I wanted to think he was serious, but I knew he wasn't, so I gave him the best answer I could come up with. I said, um, I didn't answer the question. I said, I'm 42. To which he said, he was quick, I'll give him credit, he said, well, did you go to NKU? <laughs> Actually, I did. I told him, I said, yeah, I said, I started in 1988. He kind of looked at me, and I think we both realized he wasn't even born in 1988. And then he said something, and you've had these conversations before, right, where you're talking with somebody, and you can see the wheels going in their head, and I could see this guy, he's not here, they were going a little slowly, but he was doing math or something, but the wheels are turning in his head, and he looked at me, and the filter we all have, some people's filter are better than others, his filter didn't work, he looked at me, and he said, you're as old as my mom. <laughs> now, I don't know his mom, so I'm not sure if that's true, and I think he saw the look on my face, and he tried to recover as best he could, he goes, oh, no, 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 you're not nearly as old as my mom, I mean, she's, he said, She's 45. That's just a huge difference, right? I mean, but the fact is, whether I like it or not, time is just slipping by, right? I mean, it's true for all of us. So maybe the best question when it comes to time isn't what time is it. In the grand scheme of things, who really cares? Maybe the best question is what am I doing with my time. What am I doing, what am I accomplishing with the limited amount of time I've been given? What we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at what the Bible says about that. And I thought up front, because maybe it's a little bit of a downer thinking your time is limited, but I thought to encourage us a little bit up front, I thought what I'd do is try to let us look at some happy thoughts from the book of Job. Some of you have read Job. Well, here's what Job has to say about our time. Job says this. In Job 7, 6, he says, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and they come to an end without hope. I think I got that card once. He goes on. He says, My days are swifter than a runner, 
They fly away without a glimpse of joy. Now, as sad and maybe depressing as that might be, and, and, and we do, we have some counselors standing by if you need that help tonight, but isn't it really just a reminder of a truth that all of us know? Our time here is limited, and it just seems to fly by. Lisa and I, my wife, we've got two boys, Andrew and James, they're seven and five, and it seems like every time we go to a wedding or every time we go to maybe a graduation party, something like that, we're eventually talking to the parents, and they all, it must be in the handbook, they all tell us the same thing. They look at us with our two little boys, and they all say this, ah, we better enjoy them. They grow up so fast. Right? I mean, you've heard that before. So as a parent, you know, I'll talk to Lisa. Or I'll just think to myself, man, we, we better do something. I mean, we better hurry up. We better take them here or go there or do that. I mean, before you know it, they're going to be out of the house. Right? I mean, maybe for you, maybe your understanding of time being limited, maybe it happened in your life. You came to that understanding because of an illness. Maybe it was some major life event. Maybe it was just middle age, and you got that Corvette you always wanted, or at least got a picture of it because you can't afford the Corvette, but, you know, whatever it was. But you came to that realization that your time is limited, that somewhere out there in the future, there is a finish line, that your time is not going to last forever, but that it is going to end. Now, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, kind of nodding your heads a little bit. The rest of you think, man, I just need to stop now and pray for Tim because he's got some serious issues, right? But, I mean, our time is limited. And, again, some of this might just sound a little bleak or maybe a little sad. But the point of all of this is that our time, there's nothing we can do about it. It just keeps slipping by. So, again, maybe the best question when it comes to time isn't what time is it, but it's what are you doing with your time? I mean, maybe, just maybe, we should live our lives or spend our time because our time really is our life, right? Your time is your life. Maybe we should spend our time, we should spend our life with the end in mind. I mean, perhaps we should approach life and the decisions that we make with the realization that our time is limited, that there's a finish line out there somewhere, and the best way to live is really in that context, now, this is actually something the Bible talks a lot about. Again, I told you we'll be in Psalm 90 tonight. It's a teaching in Scripture. And what I want us to do in the time we have left is I want us to open up Psalm 90. And Psalm 90 is an interesting psalm. When you think of the psalms, you probably think of David. But Psalm 90 is actually written by Moses. And Moses is somebody whose life story takes up a big chunk of Scripture, especially the Old Testament. I mean, Moses lived just this storybook life. You've seen the movies. You've read the book. But what he does here is in this psalm, he draws on all of his experience, everything he's gone through in life. And what he's going to tell us is how we can best approach the time that we have. Now, a little background as you're turning there. Moses, his life was amazing. And here's how it began. You, you know the story, right? I mean, his life begins as a poor Hebrew child destined for death. I mean, his life was supposed to end in weeks or months, maybe days, not years. 
but his mom, and, and the best thing she could do to try to save his life, puts him in a basket in the reeds in the river, and then the Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses. He grows up in Pharaoh's household, has the best education, has the best food, the best place to live. In Pharaoh's house, he learns to walk like an Egyptian and talk like an Egyptian, right? But as he grows older into adulthood, he starts to feel this tension because he, he realizes that I'm not like everybody else in the palace. I'm different. And he looks out and he sees that I'm really a lot more like all these Hebrew slaves. So Moses, one day, is in the palace, and he looks out, and this tension finally gets the best of him. He loses his cool. He looks out, and he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave, and he races down and kills the Egyptian. Well, you know what's going to happen. Word gets back to Pharaoh, and Moses has to run for his life. He takes off. Overnight, Moses' life goes from the prince of Egypt to the fugitive. Once he's in the wilderness, he runs away from the palace. He's in the wilderness, and he's hired by a shepherd. And Moses spends his days now not in the palace, not enjoying kind of the lap of luxury, but hanging out with sheep all day long. But here's an interesting part of Moses' story, especially as it pertains to our discussion about how to best use our time. Watch this. Moses flees Egypt and spends 40 years in the wilderness. 40 of really what we would think be the best years of his life. Moses goes from being one of the wealthiest men in the world with a certain future in Egypt, with all that that would offer him. He goes from that to becoming a nameless, poor, hopeless shepherd living in Nowheresville in the wilderness. And I think if you were to ask Moses, Maybe 10 years, or 20 years, or 30 years into his wilderness time, his days, his days shepherding. If you were to ask him about God, if you were to ask Moses about purpose, if you were to say, Moses, how do I best use my time? I think his response, I think Moses would have laughed in your face. Because every day for Moses, for 40 years, it was exactly as the day before. But then, as God so often does, he changes a life in an instant. Moses goes out shepherding. He's out in the field, and you know what happens. He's out there, and today, it's not just sheep and Moses. Today, God shows up. All the time that Moses has been, in the, has been in the wilderness, has been away, has thinking that God has just forgot, has forgotten him, God had a plan all, all along. He calls on Moses. He speaks to him from a burning bush. And he says, Moses, we're going to leverage your, where you were brought up. We're going to leverage your time here in, in the wilderness. You're going to go back to Egypt, and you're going to rescue my people. I've heard their cries. You're going to bring them back out of slavery. So Moses listens to what God says. There's a little back and forth. He's really not sure if he should do it, but he eventually agrees. And he goes back. He packs up the family. He goes to Egypt. And you know what happens next. He tells Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says no. God sends a plague. Pharaoh says no. It goes on and on and on until finally it hits a little too close to home for Pharaoh. And Pharaoh finally lets the Egyptians go. 
So with all of that serving as a backdrop, kind of understanding Moses' life, all he came through from the top to the bottom, back to the top, Moses is about to share with us his view on how to best use the time we've been given. And what I want to do before we look at it, I just want to give you the point up front. Maybe your time is short and you've got to go. Here's the point of what Moses is going to tell us. Moses is going to say, you want to understand your time? You want to understand your life? Well, here it is. Context is everything. Moses is going to tell us context. It's everything. I mean, God has created a context in which you live. What, what, you know, what do we mean by that? The 70 or 80, or if you're lucky, maybe 90 years that you get to walk this planet. God has a greater context, a greater purpose. And if we don't understand the greater context, if we don't understand the greater purpose, if we don't understand that it's not about us, it's really about something bigger than us, then our days will just end in futility because we'll try to make it all about ourselves. We'll try to come up with ourselves some kind of purpose, some kind of meaning for our life. I mean, our life just can't be about the next mortgage payment or the next school loan or the next test or the next class or possibly maybe just getting that promotion and hopefully maybe then when I'm 65 or 70, I can go golfing or maybe hang out on the beach, sip a nice cold drink, watch the waves roll in, and I'll just pray that maybe God will take me in my sleep. I mean, that can't be the purpose of life. And what Moses is going to show us here in Psalm 90, drawing from his vast experience, is that context is everything. Look, look at what Moses writes. In Psalm 90, he starts like this. Verse 1, verse 1 and 2. Moses says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Here's what Moses is doing here. He's setting everything up, what he's about to tell us. Notice, Moses shows us here, it starts, it ends with God. It's not really about us. The best way to understand us is to understand him. And Moses says, from the beginning to the end, God. In the middle, God. All throughout, God. If you want to understand you, then you need to understand God. You need to understand that God had a plan before you were born. He has a plan after you were born. And you've got 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 years to be part of the plan, the greater context of what God is trying to accomplish in this world. Look at what takes place next. Psalm 90, verse 3. Moses, again, probably not a motivational speaker. Here's what Moses says next, and it's great. Try to picture this. He says, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. Don't you just love that? You've seen Lord of the Rings? It's kind of like Gandalf, isn't it? It's kind of like Gandalf. Return to dust, you mortals. I mean, can't you see that? None shall pass the white hair, the the big stick, right? I mean, it's return to dust, you mortals. Moses is saying, basically, it doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter how much you have, how big your house is, what your plans are. It all ends the same for everyone. Return to dust. Aren't you glad you came? 
Psalm 90, verse 4. If Moses hasn't made the point yet, he's going to dig a little deeper. He says about God, he says, A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You've heard this before, right? A thousand years are like a day. Okay, here's what this looks like. A thousand years. That's like, if my history's right, that is like just before the Crusades, okay? A thousand years like a day. Or if this helps you better, that is like 500 years before Columbus. Moses says, a thousand years in your sight, God, it's just like a day. And when we're trying to wrap our minds about that, because that's so kind of vague and out there, Moses interrupts himself. And he says, actually, no, it's not like a day. He says, really, it's like a watch in the night, which a watch in the night was like three or four hours. So if you've seen the new Batman movie, okay, a thousand years with previews is like the new Batman movie. So if you're sitting there, don't do the math because it will depress you. (laughs) But in the context of a thousand years being like three hours, your life, my life, it's not even the previews, okay? And Moses, I mean, again, I mean, it's, you know, why did I come tonight? You know, I could have been depressed at home, right? But Moses is saying, you know, here's the, if you're thinking this is sad or depressing or my life has no meaning, so I might as well just go ahead and do whatever I want to because there's really no purpose to it, Moses says, hey, you're missing the point. The point here, Moses' point and really God's point is that because your life is so brief, because your life is, is so common, because it's so brief, because it's so common, because it goes by so quickly that it's just pointless to try to go at it on your own. Because your time is so brief, it's impossible to try to create some meaning or some significance all on your own. At the only way, Moses is saying, and this is by design, The only way to find meaning and purpose and fulfillment in your life is stop trying to accomplish that on your own, but to connect yourself with what God is already doing. It goes back to from everlasting to everlasting God. Now, I realize this might sound a little out there. It certainly sounds, I don't know, a little depressing, but consider the source. I mean, if anyone here, Moses... If anyone could have pointed to himself and said, guys, huddle up, million, two million, come here. Here's how you handle life. Here's what you do. Here's how you make the most of your time. Here's how you make it meaningful. Do this. Work hard. Never give up. I, I, was, in the, I was in the wilderness 40 years. I didn't give up. Try really hard. You know, hope you get a few breaks. And if you do that, then you can be like me. I led you out of Egypt. I set you free. I did that. Me, me, me. Instead, Moses says the opposite. Moses says, no, everything I've seen, and I've seen a lot. In fact, they're going to be talking about me for thousands of years. Moses says, everything I've seen tells me this. If you want to make the most out of the little bit of time that you've been given, the only way to do so is to look outside yourself and look towards God. Now, Moses, if you're following along, he takes the next few verses and really drives this point home. 
It's a psalm, so there's kind of flowery language there. And I thought, we won't look at all of those verses. I mean, it, it just depresses us too much. He really makes this point. But if you look down at verse 11, in verse 11, Moses kind of makes the transition. He starts to begin to connect all the dots. Look at what Moses says here. It's so rich. We'll look at it together. He says this. He says, ever telling us how life is just so brief and so common, he says, if only we knew, meaning this, we don't know. If only, if only we could see, meaning we don't see. He said, if only we could really kind of comprehend, meaning we don't. If only we knew the power of your anger. What that really means is if only we really kind of knew about the power and the holiness and the righteousness of God. If only we knew that. And now here's where the wording gets a little awkward. I'm not sure how your version says it, but here's how it says it in the NIV. It says, if only we knew the power of your anger. Then he goes on and says, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. What does that last sentence mean? I mean, this is really so great, especially in our discussion of time. Here's what this verse means. Unpack it for you. Moses is saying, if we could see God clearly, if we could see God as he really is, if we could see God in all his glory, then here's what we'd do. We would worship him with all we have. Your wrath is as great as the fear, the worship, the reverence that is your due. In our discussion of time, maybe picture it like this. If you could see God face to face in all his splendor, after you got back up off the ground, you would present to God the 70 or 80 years of your life and say, God, just take it, just use it for whatever you're trying to accomplish, whatever you're doing from everlasting to everlasting. But here's the problem in this verse, and Moses hints at it. Look back at, at the beginning. If only we knew. The problem is that we don't. We don't see God unveiled. We don't see God in all his glory. We only catch a glimpse, and only at times, right? I mean, the Bible tells us that if we were to see God in all his glory, it would kill us. I mean, he's so beyond anything that we can just kind of handle. And this is so powerful coming from Moses. I mean, do you remember that part of the Moses story? He goes up, he gets the Ten Commandments, he comes back down. They're all kind of losing their minds. Moses throws the Ten Commandments down. So he has to go back up. God has to kind of, you know, write the second draft, right? He gets those. And Moses spends this time on the mountain, him and God kind of alone. He gets as close to God as any person who's ever lived. He sees God in maybe a way no one had ever seen him. And finally, he walks back down the mountain, and the Israelites are waiting for Moses to come, and when they see him, they are scared to death because he's glowing. I mean, he's like radioactive Moses, right? I mean, he's coming down the hill, and they think, oh, what happened to Moses? I mean, if that, if that happens, what's God going to do to us? And Moses is telling us here, he's saying, if we could only comprehend God, if we could only see God in all his grandeur, and all his glory, our immediate response would be to give our lives, would be to give everything we have to him in worship. 
to say basically this, God, I give you my life, I give you my time, I give you everything I have, not my will, but your will. Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated unto you. Now, I love how Moses wraps this up. With all of his years of experience in Egypt, in the palace, in the mountains, back, you know, leading the people out of Egypt, Moses says something very practical in verse 12. Here's how he wraps it up. He starts saying this. He says, so with everything in mind, everything he said, he says, teach us to number our days. Teach us because this isn't something we do naturally. I mean, we don't like to think of a finish line to our life. We don't like to think about our own mortality. That's why some of us don't have life insurance right? I mean, we don't like to think that there's an end out there somewhere. But numbering our days is something that we've all done. I mean, right now, if you would ask my boy Andrew how many days he has left until school starts, he would say, oh, there's only 11 days until school starts. If you were to ask me and Lisa the same question, we would say there are only 11 days until school starts, right? I mean, we've all numbered our days, my mom, when she retired a few years ago, if I would talk to her, she'd say, Tim, 48 days. Tim, 31 days, 17 days left. I mean, a bride and even sometimes a groom knows how many days until the wedding. And because we do number our days, because we know how many days until that big event, what does it do practically? It changes how we live. I mean, we know something's coming, so we know we either have to prepare and work hard or we need to hurry up and enjoy whatever time we have left, but it changes how we live. So Moses is saying, God, teach us to number our days. And here's what happens if you do that. Look at how he finishes verse 12. He says, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This is so huge. Moses tells us, that when we number our days, when we understand that our time is limited, that it will here on this earth, that it will come to an end, that it helps us live within the context of God's will. That when we number our days, we get wisdom, and it impacts in a positive way our family, our life, our professional decisions, Every aspect of our life is now impacted because we realize our time's limited. It's fleeting. And Moses says, when you do that, when you understand there's an end coming, it's going to change the way you live until then. I thought about how to best kind of put some flesh on this, kind of like one thought to kind of take with you as, as we leave. And I think this will do it well. Over the past few years, past couple years, Lisa and I have been praying for a little girl in California. Her name is Daisy Love Merrick. We have a picture of her. That's Daisy. Um, found out about Daisy in 2009. Daisy was five years old, and Daisy was diagnosed with cancer. We found out about her, and we've been praying for her, and she had cancer. She had surgery. She had chemotherapy, and about a month after the chemotherapy was over, she found out that the cancer had returned. Daisy was six and had cancer for the second time in her life. She 
went through another surgery. This time was a little more involved because of how the tumor was. She did that. She underwent more chemotherapy. And when that finished, things really looked up. She went one month, two months. The follow-up scan showed that things were fine. So Daisy, we'd read these updates. She was going to school again. She was laughing again. She was playing again. She was doing what any normal six- or seven-year-old child should do until earlier this year. In February of this year, Daisy, in a routine scan, found out that she had cancer. She was eight, eight years old for the third time in her life. She underwent more surgery. She had more chemotherapy. They're talking now about a stem cell transplant. They're talking about going to Israel for some kind of experimental kind of procedure. And we follow these updates. And last week, her mom sent out this update about how things are going for Daisy. Listen to what her mom says here. Her mom says, This morning, I am praying for Daisy's lungs. Yesterday, our doctor looked over the CT results and found a couple of spots on them. Thankfully, they didn't light up on the PET scan, which shows active cancerous activity, but they did show up on her CT scan as unidentifiable nodules. They could be one of three things, her mom said. They could be an inflammatory infection, they could be a fungal infection, or they could be more cancer. She's eight. As they're too small to biopsy, we can't be sure. Daisy will begin being treated as if it's a fungal infection, and we will rescan after several weeks. So please join me in praying that these nodules disappear. Here's where it gets real personal. She said, We are on pins and needles waiting to hear our next step and packing our suitcases. They're waiting to go to Israel. She said, I feel like I've been living someone else's life these last three years. There's a certain mourning of your old life that is lingering sentiment some days. And I love this insight. Life is fragile and meant to be lived and enjoyed despite the circumstances. That said, listen to this. As soon as I'm finished praying that Daisy has a fungal infection and not more cancer, I'm going to lay in bed and snuggle her as long as I like, feeling her fuzzy little head under my chin. Then I'm having extra cream in my coffee, followed by some fort building, a beach day, and dinner with my friends. And I am going to enjoy it. Signs at Kate. And then she adds one thing at the end, one verse. She writes Psalm 90, 12. A little different version, but it makes the point. She says, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time you've given us. We thank you for, for all you are doing, God, that life is so much bigger than us, that you have a plan from everlasting to everlasting, that you are there. And God, we thank you for the advice to understand that it's limited, but to you, God, that's a positive. You have so much that you want to accomplish through us. Our life is so meaningful in your sight. We sang about it today. It's so meaningful. Christ died for us. God, give us the wisdom. Help us to not be afraid of an end, but help us, Lord, to number our days and live soaking everything we can out of it. Give us the wisdom we need to live as you would have us live. Let us be lights in a dark place.
Christ's name.